It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. It's a Monday. Time for our bonus podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, based in our studios in San Diego with my irreverent co-host who broadcasts from left field, John Riley. We welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast, an absolute ton of things happening in the world of sports. And John, before we dive into what's happening at Petco Park or what's not happening at Petco Park, let's tell everybody about the Fans Forum and how they can join this winning team that we have now formed. Okay, yeah, yeah, right on. So all the viewers out there, you can get involved in the fans forum. Just type in your your hot take, your question or comment for Hacksaw in the live chat on Facebook or on YouTube. Be sure you subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder, if you like sports, please check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day. It's information you probably won't get other places. And if you're a Padre fan, special one man's opinion column today on the website on the demise of the Padres revenue stream vis-a-vis TV. And by the way, if you like what we're doing, give us a thumbs up. If you like, give us a five-star review. And by the way, people, we've been doing this podcast for eight months. We have now crashed through the 1,900 subscriber base. Yeah. Who wants to join us and be part of 2,000? That's the next push. Can we get to 2,000 subscribers in the next couple of weeks? So as John says, subscribe so you'll get all the alerts to everything we're doing. John, we've got a lot to talk about. Let's start about your team. Yeah, my team is killing me right now, Lee. I mean, they just lost two out of three to the Cubbies. I guess they're playing tonight for the fourth game. So the Padres are just staggering. I don't know when they're going to hit. I don't know why they don't hit. When you've got as much proven talent in the everyday lineup and why they continue to stagger and slump, it's absolutely ridiculous. They're 27 and 32. Every time they win a game by big numbers, you think they're turning the corner and then they come back with clinkers. They have lost 14 games this season, John, to substandard teams. I'm talking about last place teams, some team teams that have been perennial losers. I'm talking about teams that are even struggling to get to the 500 mark. Their record is 11 and 14 against 500 or less ball clubs this season with a $253 million payroll. The Padres are 10 and 17 at Petco. They are 28th, third worst in all of baseball home field record. Oh, Please explain that to me <laughs> with a $253 million payroll, the Fab Four, and some pretty good frontline pitching. On top of that, They have lost 18 of their last 25 games after what we thought was going to be a pennant contending team. I just don't think they have physically and emotionally recovered after they got their brains beat out on that one-week span by the Dodgers. It just has not been the same baseball team. And if you look at the batting average, holy cow, it's like red flags everywhere. They're like in neon lights, like caution. Can you believe this is happening? Trent Grisham is hitting 133. In his last 21 games, 133, gold glove, tarnished bat, hard to believe. Manny Machado's batting average down in the 220s now. Obviously, Bogarts has got a wrist that has flared. They can't give him cortisone injections anymore. He's hit the max limit. I would assume maybe the next thing is acupuncture, but he's hitting a buck 98 in the last month. And then, yeah, Tatis is hitting some. Soto is hitting a little bit more. Your com- combined catchers are batting a buck thirty-eight. This is hard to believe because these guys are all proven products, proven commodities, and they're really underachieving right now. Those are the numbers. They're right there in front of you. My favorite phrase is, the scoreboard does not lie. You are what your record says you are. And right now, it's just a team that is underachieving team in trouble. Lots of baseball still to come, but please project out to me what makes you think the next month will be better than the last couple of months? Yeah, it's killing me. I mean, as a fan, is that a Bill Parcells line? You are what your record says you are. Um, I've been seeing some, you know, 
tweets in Padre Twitter world talking about rumors that there's division in the clubhouse, that Manny and Fernando aren't getting along and there's friction and a lot of bad chemistry. Are you hearing anything about that? Well, it's been written a little bit. Nobody's made any specifics that there are issues. And I don't think players are going to talk about the internals behind clubhouse doors to the media because if that gets out, it inflames it and it makes it a lot worse. I've seen clubhouses that have been fractured. I've been in clubhouses, been fractured, and it's not a good scene. It's too early for that to happen. But if this turns out to be a piece of crap season, the story will probably surface. If it's happening, then the people within that clubhouse need to take control. Now, I'm not sure where the leadership is coming from right now. You know, there is no Craig Stammen there because his career is likely over. Nelson Cruz has not been productive. You would have thought at age 40, maybe he would have some influence. Does not seem to have happened right now. I just don't think outside of Joe Musgrove, the persona of any pitchers is real strong. Somebody needs to take control if that is a problem. And it's got to come to a degree from Bob Melvin. And he's been in enough clubhouses where things have been good and things have been bad. Like I said, when he got hired, I thought they hit a home run because they got a guy who's experienced everything there is to experience. And he's experiencing something really bad right now in the Padres. Dug out, on the field, and I hope not in the clubhouse. It's got to be something, though, right? I mean, granted, you know, Xander's got a hurt wrist, and you can and you talk about Machado was out for a while with a broken hand. But it's more than that. It's like an intangible because all these guys are generally proven commodities and they just stink when they play here. And Grisham, by the way, he hasn't hit in two years. I mean, with the exception of the postseason last year. So, you know, there's also talk about maybe, you know, Bryce Miller, the the reporter for the UT, put out a column saying maybe it's time to move Tatis to center field. Possibly. But how are you going to replace anybody? I mean, they need I would think they need infusion and chemistry from the outside. But how are you going to do that? Nobody wants those big money contracts. How are you going to do that? Trade more from the farm system, which is rather threadbare up top? And how are you going to do that? Take on more payroll when you're already at the threshold right now and you don't want to go over because the damage you do by being a third-time violator of the, of the luxury tax is pretty significant. I think the solution has to come from within. I kept thinking, you know, we, we saw last year during the pennant race how electric Petco Park became how exciting the dugout was, the celebrations and all that. We saw that team come together. And outside of the, the weekend they wore the sombreros in Mexico City, it doesn't look like the same franchise to me. No. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how difficult this is. But with when you've got Grisham hitting, what is he hitting, like a buck 80 or something? I, I mean, it's almost better to put Tatis in center. You could put anybody else in right. I mean, it could be Brandon Dixon. It could be, um, you know, Adore when he gets back to, you know, with, with that pulled hammy. I mean, anybody can hit better than Grisham at this point. And, yeah, you give up some of the D, but Tatis is pretty darn close to uh, Grisham defensively. We'll see where it goes. They better solve something because once they're done with this guy and then Seattle, then they go back on the road and they got to go to Coors Field up in Colorado. Now that's the story on the field. Now we got the story off the field. Yeah. I mean, this, this is still all percolating and that free TV subscription is about to expire. I think today's the first one. I wrote a column today on the Padres finances. I'm not sure Peter Seidler will like what I wrote, but that's what I thought. That's what I believe. That's what I've come to know from networking with other people. And here's the burning question. It's ideal you put it up that way. How do you replace that amount of money? Because that amount of money is what the Padres were getting annually from Bally Sports prior to that Fox Sports San Diego and from, quote, the Diamond Sports Group. Here's what I've been told. The deal with Diamond Sports, the ones that held all the regional sports networks, involved an enormous amount of money in a contract that was back-end loaded. It was a 20-year deal the Padres signed. A lot of that money is back-end loaded, so the payday would have gotten higher and higher. The problem the Padres have is they committed all these long-term contracts, whether it was El Nino, Manny, what they're trying to do with Soto, what they did with Darvish, what they did with Musgrove. The big issue is those contracts carry higher dollar figures in the middle of the 10- or 11-year contract going out the 14-year contract going out, just like the TV contracts carried more money. So to me, the Padres, John, I think projected we got X dollars today 
X times $2 three years from now, X times $5 five years from now. We can do these contracts because as the bigger number grows in the Tatis deal, et cetera, et cetera, well, bigger numbers coming in from the TV contract. Mm -hmm. Contract is gone. So how do you replace it? You and I argued about this over the weekend, John, and I don't argue with the talk show host because <laughs> you might be wrong. Yeah. The, the big issue is baseball is going to take over the streaming rights. Right now, you can get the streaming rights for Padre Baseball rest of the season for $80. Mm -hmm. Not bad. Yeah. It's nineteen ninety nine a month. How many $80 subscriptions do you have to sell to reach that figure of $60 million? No can do. I don't think so. Now, maybe baseball, which wants the streaming rights from everybody, will create a network which will create monster revenue because it'll be a big picture network deal. And the Padres will get money from MLB as a byproduct of the streaming. But how do you replace $60 million? To me, that's a big, big issue. So this story is evolving day by day. There's more fragments of information that is coming out. That's why I wrote the One Man's Opinion column today on the website. If you're a Padre fan, please check it out. So I threw a lot of numbers at you. It's a very complex mosaic. Your response. <laughs> so there's a number of things going on here because already, like we have DirecTV Stream, there's a Padre channel on it. And I know it was free through Sunday. So I'm curious to know, is it still going to be free on DirecTV? And is my subscription that I pay DirecTV actually paying the Padres a little bit? And is the same thing going on with Cox on Channel 4? Um, or does everybody have to subscribe, you know, to the MLB TV package at $19.99 a month, you know? Unanswered question. I have DirecTV. I got it initially for... NFL Sunday ticket, and I've maintained it. So I can see Padre Baseball on DirecTV. Now, your DirecTV stream might be a different entity. I'll mm -hmm. guarantee you the other stuff is definitely gone by the boards. And how bad is it? I'll give you a sidebar. One of the guys that I'm friends with, a play-by-play -play guy, the LA Kings, Alex Faust, just lost his job. The LA Kings do not have a TV package for next year because of what just happened with Diamond Sports. Oh, wow. And they're cutting the cord on a bunch of people, employees. So if it's happening lots of places, you got to believe that if you got direct TV, you're safe, but you may have to subscribe if it's any of the other venues that you access the games. Like I say, day by day, this thing just, there's new tentacles to the story changing. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about, you know, your history in sports talk radio and how that has evolved. And there's been a lot of, you know, fires and people getting blown up in radio. We've seen it in television. Now we're seeing it with streaming. I mean, it's like everything's changing in the media market. How do you forecast a revenue stream to be able to pay those license fees? I mean, I think the Bally Sports guys, they bet wrong on this. The world shifted. I mean, what's the future is we don't know. Well, I think what happened here in this market is they bet on the Padres getting better and they bet on the advertising community rallying. Nobody betted on what happened in the last three years, COVID and the collapse of the economics. Mm. And now suddenly it's dawned on them that San Diego, although the owner of the Padres, big time in it with his payroll, San Diego is still a small market media market, small market advertising market, and the money's not there. Bally was losing $20 million a season just on the Padre rights. Mm -hmm. They grossly overpaid. The other sad part is the Padres, a lot of people don't know this, they own 20% of Bally Sports. Mm. They've got an empty building that's dark now that does not have any value. So they, they take a hit with that. It's not like you can sell those studios to somebody else to right. broadcast and create another revenue stream. You can't. So this thing has blown up in the face because the landscape of the TV industry has changed. It's it's hurt the theaters. It's, it's hurt everything. It's mm -hmm. just a different world to go get content. So that's the latest on the Padres situation. Uh, I'll be interested to see where this takes us next, because that's a lot of money that's not going to be coming in the front door for the next seven years. There are still seven years, $420 million left on the Bally Sports, Fox Sports, San Diego Diamond deal with the Padres. Not just here. Doesn't That does not include what's happening in Texas, what's happening in Houston, what's happening in Cincinnati, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. I mean, they own the rights to 14 baseball teams, and well, obviously the NBA and also the NHL. Do you think they'd ever go to a revenue share like the NFL? Oh, I, I think if MLB has come up with a proposal, it's called Team 30, and what they're proposing is 
baseball would control all the streaming packages. They would sell it. They would staff it. They would produce it. They would create the content. They want all 30 teams to turn their streaming rights over to Park Avenue in New York. Well, that sounds great in theory to help the Padres out and a lot of the other mid-markets. But, John, the big issue is Yankees, Mets, Red Sox, Dodgers said no. We're not turning over what we have already created and is our big piece of pie, our revenue stream. We're not giving it to you so you can bail out Kansas City and Detroit and help San Diego, etc. So they got they got a big hill MLB does to run uphill to convince everybody about Team 30. So that's that's the summary on the Padres situation as we sit here during our Monday bonus podcast. Yeah, that's this is amazing how everything is shifting in real time. We're going to find out something new tonight when I tune into the Padre game. Let's find out about the other story in baseball. This is really terrible news. Yeah, this is a Aztec for life, Steven Strasburg. I, he's, he's in a tough spot. I don't think he's going to come back and pitch, and it was my worst fear. And, you know, this is a prime example of how cruel professional sports can be. You know, the favorite phrase in the NFL is you're one play away, one snap away from the end of your career. Well, in baseball, if you're a pitcher, you could be one pitch away from the end of your career. And what's sad for him, he had so much in front of him still. Uh, maybe another good five to seven years, and he has completely broken down. And it's not that he did not have problems before. Steven Strasburg has severe nerve damage in his shoulder near his collarbone. He had had rib surgery because of a blood clot. That was part and parcel of what was going on in the upper part of the right shoulder. He has rehabbed for more than a year. He's made no progress. They've com- He's completely walked away from baseball. He's trying to function pain-free as a person. You know, this, this kid suffered forearm damage and elbow damage very early in his career. And he, he had to change his delivery. He went through the rehab. He became vibrant and brilliant, got the velocity back, obviously pitched him into a World Series. They signed him into a seven-year contract worth $245 million. He's only made four starts since he signed that contract because he's just completely broken down. And they've just, with all the, the surgical procedures, and he's had three of them now, they've just not been able to solve what's going on up here with nerve irritation and pain, and he can't throw a baseball. I think his career is effectively over. He's left the, the Nationals team. He's not part of them at all. He's not doing any of the rehab there. He may still be living in the Capital District. I don't think he's back here. But it's just, it's too bad because he was an electric arm with just vibrant stuff and had grown as, as a pitcher. Uh, and I, you know, it's just really sad to stay, say his career record is one thirteen and sixty two, which is real dominant. Yeah, uh, three point two four ERA. Had he been able to do this another five years, we might well have been talking about another Aztec in the Baseball Hall of Fame and Steven Strasburg instead. I mean, there's nothing so shocking as the finality of the end of your career when it's triggered by an injury. And this is terrible because he's he really made himself into a complete great pitcher and a demon on the mound. And now he's been taken down by the demon of injuries. Yeah, it's really sad. I mean, and especially with baseball pitchers, it, they're so fragile, right? And it's just a, the, the mechanics of how you throw overhand. And the violence and the force of the pitchers based on yeah, the mechanics. Exactly. And so I think about the days when he was pitching at San Diego State and how Tony Gwynn Stadium was electric. And I'm kicking myself for not going to any of those games. But what a scene I was told that was. But let me ask you a different angle here, Lee. Do you think the Washington Nationals take out an insurance policy on players for situations like this? They do. You can't talk about it. The clubs are not allowed to talk about the insurance policies. But guys who sign mega contracts, there is an insurance policy against injuries, and they will get a fixed fee. I don't know if it's 50% or 75%. Of, of that one-year salary if the guy misses the entire year because he's not recovered from injuries. And I, I don't know if it goes year to year or whether it's the whole breadth and length of the $245 million contract. But yeah, but if you've got a guy that's got a history of injury problems, he's, he's next to impossible to insure. Oh, of course, yeah. So that's where we are. And obviously we know about the insurance companies and the trauma and the crisis they're having with homeowners and fires oh, yeah. and, and you know what's happened in, in society and to the global economy, et cetera. But yeah, to answer your question generically, if you had a marquee contract, big money, it would be insurable on a year-by-year basis. But now the premiums may well have rocketed beyond clubs' ability to even insure them.
Yeah, I remember back in the day in the NFL, I can't remember who the player was, but he had gotten a big deal. And then the team had a insurance policy with Lloyds of London mm-hmm. the, to cover that team in case he got hurt because it was a long-term deal. So, yeah, there's a lot of financial maneuvering that goes on behind the scenes that we're unaware of as fans. But that's a huge risk these teams take. It makes sense that they'll have some kind of insurance. Okay, on we go. Let's talk NFL football. A lot of interesting stuff here. It is the off season, but there's a lot going on. I mean, we're talking about the Chargers crunch and the Rams crunch, and we still have these big money quarterbacks to sign. I mean, how do they all fit under the cap? Well, everybody in the NFL is making money. Their revenue sharing program really does work. Uh, Storylines in the National Football League. First things first, Justin Herbert cleared today, as we do our Monday bonus podcast, cleared today to go back on the field and actually start throwing in seven-on-seven full drills with the Chargers. So that's a real positive uh, that he has now taken the next step in the rehab from the surgery, the labor surgery on the left shoulder, not the throwing soldier. So that's green light go there. Rams uh, minicamp, they are really impressed with all the young offensive linemen that they brought in. Uh, They got Steven Avila, number one draft pick. He has just stood out like he belongs. He's not a rookie overwhelmed. He's going to be an inside guard. Uh, They've got other guys they've moved around. They think think they've got two young bookend tackles that they're going to plug in and are going to play immediately. So the Rams, even though many thought your host included, that this was going to be a miserable season. The Rams seem to be ahead of the curve in terms of fixing what's most important, protecting Matthew Stafford. Mm. And Stafford's going through all the workouts. Uh, let's talk about the salary cap. There's still about 30 named free agent players still out there. And maybe at the end of the week, we'll go through the list of who's still on, a, on the street corner looking. But the, the NFL teams have spent most of their money. Now, I don't understand this, and I should have put this list up for you, but let me run through. The Bears have the most salary cap space of anybody. Would you please tell me why a franchise that's 3-13 and and had high draft picks has 32.5 million cap space and has not spent it on veteran players? Why would you be bad and then keep the money in your pocket? Yeah, that's bad ownership right there. I don't understand the McCaskies, but Chicago has the most at 32.5. This one doesn't make a lot of sense, except that maybe all the good young players got really good together and they haven't had to sign them all to extensions yet. Philadelphia Eagles, who just signed Jalen Hurts to a mega contract. Philadelphia's got a lot of young guys. They got 27.5 million cap space. That's pretty impressive. It's managing the cap pretty well. Now, Maybe there's a hit coming next year because they have to start to re-sign Devontae Smith and some of these other guys. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you figure if a team is doing really well on the field and they're below the cap, that's brilliant business strategy. But the Bears, I mean, they are the ones that need to be spending. Uh, not so brilliant. Arizona Cardinals, bad franchise, just eight twenty-two million uh, to let uh, DeAndre Hopkins go. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still have twenty-six million cap space. Now, maybe they can't get guys who want to go play in Arizona because it's been such a misfit operation for a while. But Arizona's got 26 mil. The New York Jets, who are in a real rebuild, and now they, you know, now they take on the contract with Aaron Rodgers. The Jets have got 24 and a half mil salary cap space, so they still got the ability to go do something if they want. At the other end of the spectrum, Tampa Bay, which has had a lot of upheaval. Taking contract hits along the way as veterans were traded or retired, a.k.a. Tom Brady. Uh, Tampa Bay has only 402000 Kansas City, with all of its stars, has $653,000 left. Buffalo, because they gave Josh Allen the mega contract, and they've just signed Ed Oliver, the big tackle, to an extension. Buffalo's only got a million four in cap space. The Chargers are kind of in the middle. They have $12.6 million cap space. Uh, and the Rams, the Rams are down to the bottom. They have only a million five, but they got a ton of young guys that have come in. So they're they're going through a little bit of transition. So you got a few that have a lot of money, a whole pile at the other end that don't have money, and there's about thirty quote veteran free agents out there still to be signed. Well, we we were talking before about all these teams that had salary cap problems, and the Chargers are one of them. I think the Broncos, the Saints. Um, So they must have released a lot of players to get below the number, right? Chargers restructured four contracts. Mm -hmm. Uh, They redid Keenan Allen's deal. They redid Mike Williams' deal, which gave him breathing room right now. But when you redo, that means the bill goes to next year's cap. And the Chargers are going to be in cap hell next year because they not only have to deal with the quarterback's contract extension, what Justin Herbert got, but they're going to be looking at Mike Williams, $30 million plus. 
Keenan Allen, $30 million plus. <laughs> Khalil Mack, $32 million cap figure. Joey Bosa, $31 million cap figure. They're not going to be able to keep all those guys. But by redoing guys right now, they could push some of the numbers owed into next year's cap. But like I told you, with your wife's credit card, the, the bill does come due. <laughs> it's kicking the can down the road. That's right. You know, but these it's interesting, too, because each of those players is more than 10% of the cap. Yep. So you get four guys. It's almost like half your budget. Yeah, it's it's a big issue. And they're not the only ones. All league goes through caponomics, the mm-hmm. gymnastics of solving this situation. Okay, from that NFL story, let's go to a story that is probably going to move front and center and really be in the headlines maybe within the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I know, because we were talking about all these expansion opportunities for these conferences, and now suddenly Coach Prime is kind of in the mix now. Well, there's a whole bunch of storylines. The Dateline is the Big 12. Colorado's athletic director has gone to meet with the Big 12 Conference, talking about taking Coach Prime and the Colorado Buffaloes out of the Pac-12 and relocating them to the Big 12. Now, of course, there's no Nebraska anymore. There will be no Oklahoma, no Texas. So that conference, to me, is not as sexy as it used to be. But evidently, Colorado thinks there's much more emotional ties to playing those guys in the Midlands than being out here. That's item one. Pac-12 is yet to get its TV media deal done. Pac-12 is yet to extend an invitation to somebody, be it San Diego State, etc. But if they lose Colorado, now now they'll be down three teams because USC, UCLA vacate after this year. So they'll be down to nine. What do they do? Does a Pac-12 immediately offer San Diego State to get them back to 10? I'll, I'll give you something different. And this kind of, you know, I shouldn't drink Corona beer on the weekend. <laughs> But here's, here's the theory. The Big 12 has talked to two other schools about coming in as basketball members only. Oh. Okay. Well, if the Big 12 can have a conversation and what they're thinking about doesn't geographically fit, why not the Pac-12? Even if Colorado exits, Pac-12 ought to go after Gonzaga. Mm. Bring them in as a basketball-only school and go after the Aztecs and Brian Dutcher only as a basketball school. I mean, that would really add woof to the Pac-12 basketball. Right. In football, I'm sorry. I just don't think San Diego State, Boise State, Fresno, not surely SMU, I don't think they bring anything to the table. So what about the Pac-12 or Pac-10 or maybe it winds up being the Pac-9? Just go add Gonzaga and San Diego State as basketball members only. Wouldn't that wouldn't that be kind of neon light flesh and say, yeah, that's a wow. Well, you know, and it's not basketball only. I mean, a lot of the other non-football sports, like the Aztecs uh, women's softball team had a great year this year. They made it to their super regionals. So that's interesting how, you know, maybe they can craft it. But I think if you're if you're a betting man, you're looking at the Aztecs, it's Snapdragon Stadium, and the momentum that this program has had for the last two decades. Why not? Having them step up because who was Utah and TCU before they moved into the big uh, Power Five conference? Well, the difference was though Utah had a nice track record and drew a lot of fans, and TCU has has had chunks of time where they were really good and they got really good under Gary Patterson. So they were bringing lots of support to the Pac-12. You didn't see that at San Diego State Snapdragon last year, did you, with that football program? <laughs> no. no. Well, you know, they're cutting the, cutting the prices. They had to beg mm-hmm. people to come so they could have 17000 in a new stadium the last four or five home games because nobody wanted to go see Neanderthal offense and they hadn't solved anything. So I, I just don't think that San Diego State brings anything football-wise real sexy. But they bring a lot of other things to the table. And they, I mean, basketball, women's sports are great. And then academically, the San Diego State is taking a big step forward. You got the, the San Diego State West Campus that's growing. So I don't know. I, I think they've got a lot going. And, and besides, there's no other SoCal team for the Pac-12. How much money do you have in your checkbook, in your checking account? Uh, there's, there's another intangible question here. They struggled to put together a pool of money for the Aztec kids in NIL. What do you think they're paying in the NIL per player at Oregon and Washington and Oregon State, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Where's that money going to come from? You're going to write a check, John? John, what's how much money is in your checking account? <laughs> well, that, I'm curious to how these other programs are structuring it. Because on one level, you think that the money comes from boosters, from advertisers that are putting in the money. But don't they 
raise ticket prices and peel off a percentage of that that goes into the NIL fund. So maybe San Diego State needs to look at it a little differently. Well, I do um, do believe that the marketing agreement the Aztecs just signed with JMI Sports, John Moore's sports promotional marketing company, going to include JMI creating revenue streams for the NIL pool. But I don't think there are many big cigars here in San Diego like there are big cigars at TCU or some of these other places that are funding all this. So fascinating to see where this goes. But this story about who's leaving, who's coming, who they might reach for. Aztec basketball, Gonzaga basketball in the Pac-10, that looks pretty cool to me. I like that idea. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, hey, why not Snapdragon host some more concerts and, and things like that? That might put some money into the well, bucket. Well, they are. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to host all the soccer, and, and obviously there's a lot of creative things that are going in. But you need a football pro- program that's going to draw 35000 paid to make this thing financially fundable mm-hmm. and not 17,000 on your <laughs> knees begging on Friday, take my tickets and come see us. Oh yeah. We might only score six points a game. Got a lot of work to do there uh, in, in that. All right. Before we take a break, uh, let's tell everybody about uh, fans forum. Let's tell everybody about subscriptions and why we want some more friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on on. Join the team. I mean, like Hacksaw said, we we just broke through the 1900 subscriber mark on YouTube. So In eight months. Yeah. I mean, really great. So, I mean, it's but the numbers, the analytics for this podcast are just going through the roof. So uh, join us there. Subscribe on YouTube. Get us help us get to 2000 and then uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You're on all the audio only platforms and you can get involved in the fans forum. There's a bunch of guys that are already involved here. I mean, who, who am I seeing in here? I'm seeing Joey Yarbrough and John Hopkins and Marco Acosta and Schickster is in there and Luis Diaz. So we hope to get to some of you in the fans forum segment. So just drop your comment in the live chat of Facebook or on YouTube and check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It's written and check my one man's opinion column on the Padres problems right now. Speaking of problems, you got a problem in Memphis. This is not going away. No, I mean, it's just, it just seems like it keeps happening over and over again. John Morant is facing another suspension for the NBA. And here's the alarming part about this. And they're arguing back in Memphis, too, about this. The NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, said at the uh, NBA finals that, yes, they've concluded their last investigation on Morant. There is new data. They're going to announce further discipline as soon as the playoffs are over. But he also dropped in there. The Players Association has worked with the NBA about what this decision is. And that leads me to believe, John, the NBA union has sold out that player, that whatever the new data is, has really worried them that they're going to drop them. Somebody has to drop the hammer on this kid. Hmm. Now, there's a huge argument in Memphis. And I caution you. Because this is like the same argument that's going on in Texas, and it's under the umbrella of the Second Amendment. Hmm. The John Morant has a right to have a gun. Hmm. The NBA doesn't have any more bylaws about banning guns. Uh, the big issue is, is he a danger to himself? Is he a danger to others? Is it a good image? Does he have to be charged before he's disciplined? So that's where we are with John Morant. His lawyers are taking a little bit different stance and hiding under the the tree that says Second Amendment, right to own. I don't know. You tell me what the NBA, are they caught between a rock and a hard place? Or do they need just to step up and say, we're not going to condone that type of activity, whether it's in a bar, whether it's on a street, whether you're hanging on the corner with your posse, we're just not going to allow it once it becomes public and it becomes an issue. Go ahead. Well, aren't most contracts have like a standard boilerplate for like moral clauses and making sure that they're serving as a good representative of the NFL uh, or in in this case, the NBA and of the Grizzlies? I mean, I would think that that's baked in. And, you know, the Second Amendment is that's one thing. But these players are, are employees and they're representatives of the people that employ them. So I would assume there has to be some leverage that the league or the teams can have on these guys to discipline them. I would think so. But the lawyer says he's never been charged, never been arrested. But yet there's video out there of him going clubbing, wearing a gun in mm-hmm. his waistband. Uh, I I don't like the look, I don't like the picture, and I don't like what the end result could be because I still fear the guys that run with those people could get themselves caught up in crossfire, could get themselves caught up and wind up shot in an alley. 
and he doesn't understand it, and he doesn't accept, and he lied, obviously, the commissioner coming out of, quote, counseling about he was going to make better decisions he learned. Sure, it hadn't looked like he's learned. No, and, you know, we've talked about how he might have some issues that he's struggling with. He may need some of that help and guidance because we've seen some players, you know, go sideways in life, and the next thing you know, they're dead. Exactly. Um, So... This is a young man that needs some help, needs some guidance. And so I would hope some tough love is appropriate. It was a number, number one draft pick of the L.A. Clippers years and years ago. It escapes my mind right now. He's from from Louisville. And he was a high pick, played in the league for maybe 10 to 13 years. He had problems off the court, obviously was involved with drugs. And then he was involved in a disastrous marriage. And then he got shot. He got executed in Kentucky just a couple of years ago. It was a real, just a waste of a life mm-hmm. from what was a pretty good basketball player, as you say. Went off the track. Okay, that's the latest on the NBA. Hockey hotline is open for business. Wow, a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, big. They finally signed a coach in Anaheim. Yeah, I, I've been tracking this story for a week. This guy came in late. His name is Greg Cronin. Last five years, uh, top minor league coach in the American League for the Colorado Avalanche. He coached the Colorado Eagles. Five years, developed a whole bunch of players that are in with the NHL team. Went to the playoffs four years. Prior to that, assistant coach New York Islanders, assistant coach Toronto Maple Leafs. Prior to that, he coached at two of the best hockey programs in the country. Was a head coach at Northeastern and went to the ECAC finals. And then was an assistant coach at the University of Maine, which is a, a monstrous hockey program yeah. nationally. So he has learned. Now, he's not young. He's 60. He's been a lot of places. I took part in his press conference today. I was awed. I mean, passion play. This guy's got theories. This guy's got philosophies. And you know, just weeks ago, the farm team of the of the Ducks, San Diego Gulls, hired Matt McIlvain, mm-hmm. uh, who had been abroad in Germany and had won five titles in a row. To listen to McIlvain is like listening to Cronin. You talk about two guys philosophically linked up in terms of how to develop, how to communicate, how to teach, what we expect to get him to the next level. I was really impressed. And I, I I texted some goals and ducks people today and they said the losing stops now. Yeah. They're gonna turn the corner on this thing real quick with all the draft picks they have and all the cap space they have and all the young guys that they have and the next truckload of young guys that are coming into San Diego and are going to play here for probably most of this coming season. You know, I th- I think the sunrise is right out there for hockey to get healthy in Anaheim and hockey to return to what it was here with the San Diego Gulls, because I know you miss not going down there on beer Friday and <laughs> banging on the plexiglass yeah. when they had a really good team. But this guy's a really impressive guy. Well, you know, we were talking about what kind of coach that Anaheim needed. Is he this uh, uh, heavy-handed disciplinarian guy that's going to smack these guys around? Or he seems like more of like, you know, the, the high IQ coach. He's high IQ, but he's real hands-on. Like I say, he's 60. He's coached a lot of good players that have gone to the next level. Uh, and it was one of the questions at the press conference today with Greg Cronin is, how do you do this? He said, you, you get inside their head first. You coach them as a person, then you coach them as a player. Mm. So there will be a philosophy of how they teach, what they want in practice. He went and met with Bill Belichick about practices and how you structure what you do. And Belichick's demand to him was, you practice perfect because then you can play perfect. Mm. And it's really interesting. And he also said today, what I teach my guys in the American Hockey League as we grow these young guys, they can put in their travel bag and carry with them into the NHL dressing room. I just, I was really impressed with him. And just like I was impressed a couple of weeks ago when I went to the Goals press conference, I told you about McIlvain, I think they're cut from the same cloth. I this is going to be fun to watch this evolution. Well, it seems like the uh, the Ducks brass have a grand plan. They have a strategy, and they're getting their coaches, they're getting their Ducks in a row. Yeah, blueprint. <laughs> now, not all the good news involving the Ducks is good news today because I was shocked by this. Now, maybe they could talk him out of this. Yeah, I mean, this is a maybe a big-time departure on the team. John Gibson's a hell of a player. I don't know if he's a Hall of Fame goaltender. He's played an awful lot of hockey here. Franchise has not been in the playoffs for five straight years. John Gibson has formally asked to be traded. He's tired of the losing. The guy's got a $6.5 million contract, which is kind of pricey for other teams. The Ducks can afford him because the Ducks are well below the cap now. The Ducks have a lot of cap money. I think what Pat 
Verbeek has to do, and obviously what this new coach Greg Cronin has to do is sit with John Gibson and just talk about the blueprint of what they're going to get done. And he already knows the good young guys that are on this team, so therefore now it becomes a question, does he believe in the blueprint, knowing that there's more good young guys coming? But, you know, young guys takes time. Uh, he's got a 3.64 goals against average. I think he's won 184 games over the course of his career. He is the reason they've been really good for a whole chunk of time, but he's tired of losing. So it's a big issue going forward. If they were to trade him, they'd obviously haul back a lot. But you don't trade all-star goaltenders. You know, and I I feel so bad for him. I met him when he first came to the Gauls. He was here for about 15 minutes, and then they took him. To mm-hmm. Anaheim, and he never ever came back. And I remember telling him, John, I hope you enjoy San Diego. You're not going to be here very long. We all know that. And he went up there, and he had great success and good teams around him. But the good teams got old. They had injuries, too much salary. They had to trade guys because of the cap, etc. I felt so bad for him about a year and a half ago. He had one game. He faced 30 shots, 30 in the first period of a game. 30. Wow. Uh, and he finally collapsed after two periods, and he pulled him because he was exhausted. Yeah. So that's what—that's the burden he's had to bear, but just a really, really fine player. So I hope that Verbeek and Cronin can talk him out of this, I'd like to be traded. Yeah, you, you can't blame a guy for wanting to win. And he probably doesn't want to go through a whole other rebuild all over again. Do you ever find in the NHL, do they ever do it like in the NBA where some of the players will get together and try to build, you know, like a, a, a star three-man, you know, all go, like the way the Miami Heat, you know, were built about 10 years ago? Well, the issue is, though, the, the, the cap, it's tough to hold on to all your guys. And the issue for him specifically at the Honda Center he looks around the room and a bunch of these guys probably haven't had their first beer yet and don't shave because they're so young. <laughs> so it's, it's tough to form a veterans committee yeah. to carry the thing when most of the veterans are gone. Mm. I mean, there's hardly any veterans left on that roster right now. But we'll see where it goes, see if they'll talk talk him off, off the ledge. One more hockey story. Boy, somebody's got to have some conversation about this story. Yeah, I mean, where is this team going to land? Well, the NHL and Gary Bettman said over the weekend at the commissioner's press conference at the Stanley Cup Finals that I want Arizona to stay in Arizona. Don't ask me why. They've had no success as a franchise. Uh, they, they've had to move buildings a couple of times. They've been an afterthought on the radar of the fans. They've lost money. They've been through at least four ownership groups, including one that involved Wayne Gretzky. And they just made very little progress. Uh, they've stockpiled a lot of picks, got a lot of young players, but hasn't equated to winning. And, you know, last year they played because their arena lease ran out, and it was such a mess where they were in Glendale. They moved, and they played their home games at a tiny arena on the Arizona State campus. Wow. And they, yeah, they averaged, they sold out, 5,000. Mm-hmm. That's not the NHL, 5,000. No, NHL is, is 21,000 at Air Canada Center or the Maple Leafs or mm-hmm. what they're doing in Edmonton or Montreal. It's, it's not 5,000. And now they just had a ballot to build a new arena in Tempe and was voted down. So now they're back to square one. Gary Bettman says, we are going to come up with an arena plan and we're going to keep this team here. Why would you keep it there when nobody seems to care? The response was, is 3.5 million people that live here. And exactly. once this gets good, it's going to be supported again. But, I mean, the Phoenix market is so overwhelmed. you got the failing NFL team. you got the Suns who are disappointing. you got the Diamondbacks who have now rebuilt. Last I checked, Diamondbacks are almost tied with the Dodgers for first place. And it pisses you off as a Padre fan. <laughs> so, you know, and you got the Sun Devils. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a market is really jammed with franchises there in the Valley of the Sun. You know, why would you keep it there when you've got Quebec City built a new Olympic arena? And Quebec is a hotbed of hockey. And Quebec's a different province now than it was 20 years ago when the Quebec Nordique had to move and became the Colorado Avalanche. Why would you not go to Quebec City? I don't care about the exchange rate between the Canadian dollar and the U.S. dollar. Why would you not go to Quebec City? Why would you not go to Houston, which is exploding and has a new arena Mm -hmm. and had hockey back in the day. Today's the 50th anniversary of Gordie Howe and his two sons signing with the Houston Arrows 
that made the World Hockey Association. Why not Houston? There's a theory that Atlanta has grown and they've got a new arena, and Atlanta might be given another chance, though they had the Flames and they had the Thrashers. You know, there's there's a group in Salt Lake City. There's a group in Portland. There is, they built a new arena in Kansas City. It's never had an NHL tenant. It's got a pretty decent minor league hockey team. Why wouldn't you go to some of these other markets rather than try to stay in Arizona where there is no success story at all? So that's that's where it is. And what's complicated it, the union has now gotten involved. The Players Association has gone to the league and said, this is unfair to our clients. You've put them in this bad situation. They've had bad ownership, bad teams, bad arenas. You made them play in a 5,000-seat college arena with no skyboxes. That's unfair to the players. So the union is pushing for the NHL to allow the Coyotes to transfer somewhere else. My heart, in my heart, I'm sorry, I got a little Molson's beer in me. (laughs) My heart says they should go to Quebec City because that's a hell of a hockey market. It's a great regional market. And it'd be great right next door to Ottawa and just down the the turnpike from the Toronto Maple Leafs. And by the way, the Montreal Canadiens are there to heat on also. So (laughs) that's what I would do if I were king, but I'm not king right now. But now the union is really pushing this rock this boulder up the hill calling up Bettman saying it's time to change this. Go well, ahead. I think Phoenix has just been this hot market that everyone wants to capitalize on. So maybe they just don't want to admit defeat. Or maybe they know that if they if they can't make it work in Phoenix, they won't have a chance to to come back. But, you know, Quebec makes a lot of sense. I mean, they're going to get a, a sold-out arena every every game in Quebec. And the, the building was built. It was built for an expansion team and they didn't get it. It wound up going to Vegas and Seattle. Hmm. So I, I feel bad for the Arizona people and for the Arizona players. Last topic on the table. This is not good. No, I mean it just we're seeing some deaths on the horse racing tracks. They have shut down Churchill Downs in Louisville, in Lexington, right now. Today was the first day it was dark. They canceled the rest of the spring into the summer schedule. They've had twelve horses die in a thirty-day period including five the week of the Kentucky Derby and two on Kentucky Derby morning. They have sent all these advisory investigative committees into Churchill Downs to try to configure why this has happened. I think it's it's got to have something to do with the the composite makeup of the track. You know, we we had a horrific siege of deaths at Santa Anita. I think Mm -hmm. we had 28 in one year. We had, I think, I want to say 12 at Del Mar. And they went through and did an evaluation and put in a lot of safety protocols about how you train horses, what medications you can give them, how much you can work them, etc. But they also went through and dug up the track and got rid of synthetic surfaces they had. I think there's something wrong with the track at Churchill Downs as it relates to the composition, whether it's dirt, whether it's clay. And all these horses are stepping and breaking down right on the track. Uh, and it's, it's, it's catastrophic for the owners of these horses and the investments they've made. And obviously the, the human element of, of seeing a horse have to be euthanized behind the curtain right on the track. Hmm. It's just a terrible experience. Um, they have they have imposed new rules when they come back racing for what they think will be the summer schedule uh, that you can only race a horse four times uh, in an eight week period. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be limitations on how much they get. You have to be in the top five finishers in a race to get paid. Otherwise, everybody else doesn't get paid, which means you'll thin out the rest of the crop that maybe shouldn't even be racing. Mm-hmm. And also, they've, they've got a schedule that if, John, if you've raced a whole bunch of races and you finished out of the money in a whole bunch of those races, you're not going to be allowed to race anymore. You're going to be put into retirement or whatever. So they're trying to do things there. But they've got to come up with what's triggering all these horses breaking down in practice runs or in races. But to see Churchill Downs cancel the rest of the June mm-hmm. into July schedule, that's amazing. I mean, but obviously it's a real serious thing. And the fatality rate in horses has just gone up and up and up. And bigger horses training harder, more big money to race for. Are they putting them, are the trainers putting them in bad situations where they could break down? I mean, I I interviewed Bob Baffert once and just kind of asked him philosophically about losing horses. And he almost started to weep. Oh, yeah. Because there's such an emotional attachment to the growth of this great animal. And mm-hmm. so that's where we are at Churchill Downs. It's become less of a problem at Santa Anita and, and here at our, our 
beautiful Del Mar track, but it's still it's still around the country. It's still there. But these are like 90% of them are leg injuries, right? Yes. So it just makes me wonder why they're changing the composite of the track. And, and the, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Just why are they messing around with that? Well, a lot of people are the opinion that we've got all, all this science and science has created these synthetic surfaces, which are easier to maintain and handle and seem to be faster and seem to be good for the sport. But yet some of the synthetic surfaces were problematic and, and horses started to break down. So they, a bunch of tracks took them out and put dirt and clay back in. But the breakdowns are continuing. That's an alarming number. I mean, to have 12 horses die in 30 days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a problem. And especially if you're changing it and then changing it back. And if these horses happen to be running on all these different surfaces, that's got to be tough, too. But, yeah, they got to get this fixed. Yeah. So it's a big issue at Churchill Downs. We'll, we'll keep it tabs on that story. Okay, it's time for Fans Forum. Just a quick reminder before John brings up his best friends who've got opinions <laughs> uh, from left field. Uh, just a reminder, please go to my website. You'll really like what I write on a day-in, day-out basis. If you're a Padre fan, want you to share, want you to text, want you to message, want you to email your friends. Introduce them to our podcast, our Thursday podcast, our bonus podcast on Monday, and just tell them about the website and the things that we make available. John, where do you want to start with people from the outside who want to yell at you in left field? Okay, let's let's get Joey Yarbrough involved. He says, um, what's the biggest surprise, the Diamondbacks in first place or the Padres in in last place. Well, I, th- I think it's got to be, be the Padres because these are all proven, established all stars and major league hitters. And you know, at one at one point, I think this past week, the Padres did not have anybody in the lineup hitting over two fifty eight, and they had a whole pile of guys in and around the two hundred mark, and they're making all this money. Uh, the Diamondbacks have been building towards this. A lot of painful seasons for Torrey Lavallo. They just gave him a contract extension on the weekend. He's done a nice job. Very young pitching staff. You know, you got to hold your breath because sometimes it catches up to them and you get into the fatigue factor. And what was happening in April and May with kid pitchers might not be happening in June and July or the heat of the pennant race. They do have a bunch of really good young bats in the lineup led by Corbin Carroll. So, so far, so good Arizona, but I'm not going to say small sample size because it's not because we're, you know, we're busting towards 60 games <laughs> yeah. on the schedule, but we'll see if they can, if they can run the 162 game race here. But Arizona has been building towards us now that's starting to bear a little bit of fruit. Yeah. I mean, Corbin Carroll has been amazing. Yeah. I mean, that guy is fast. He's got power. Um, what a great talent to build around. But yeah, the Padres are, the, I mean, they're the biggest disappointment in Major League Baseball right now. Oh, everybody's dumping on them nationally. Holy cow. And you know that the, the the ugliest word in any conversation about the Padres this year was the quote sustainability. Yeah, could Peter Seidler keep doing this two hundred fifty three <laughs> mil payroll? Well, nobody thought would have to drag into the equation of the discussion the collapsed TV contract because now the word quote sustainability really becomes an important part of any conversation. Going back to your first headline, how do you make up $60 million per year that's lost in TV when the TV station went dark? Yeah, I mean, the whole financial model here is getting rocked. So, yeah, the sustainability is key. Let's move on. We've got Joey had another comment here. I want to sneak this one in. And he says, hey, can you give a shout out to my homeboys at work, Nick and James? We listen all the time. Nick and James, you got good taste. Not hanging with Joey, but hanging with us on our Thursday and Monday podcast. Thank you. <laughs> okay, and this is uh, John Hopkins. He says, and the Nationals had no insurance on Strasburg. Well, that's, that's stunning. And again, maybe because of the injury history that his elbow did break down, and that's why that's that's why they can't insure him. I, I've been told, and the club's general manager told me, we can't talk about the insurance structure. And I understand that from the competitive level because all these different insurance companies handle this differently with the major league teams. But I would think with the preponderance of injuries now to pitchers, notably elbows, uh, Tommy John ligament surgery, with that going on, I don't really believe that you can get insurance on mega contracts now. And yeah. Strasbourg, that's a blow. Yeah, I mean, it was just awful. I mean, and he's like our local guy, you know, and he, you know, remember he was not a very physical athlete, you know, when he first got started as a pitcher, but he worked hard, he lost weight, he built himself into this, you know, number one draft pick who at the time might have been the most amazing number one pick in all of baseball. And it's just sad to see it end. Yes, he grew as a man. It's the thing, it's just, it's the cruel part of major league sports. On we go. On we go. And this is uh, Ryan Kennedy says, we remember Bill Walton being a hall of famer when he was playing, but missing seasons went on the San Diego Clippers. Could 
Did Strasburg make the Baseball Hall of Fame in the same Bill Walton vein of being an elite caliber when healthy and playing? I don't think so. If, if this is the finish line for Steven, I don't think the, you know, it's got 165 wins. Normally, Hall of Famers got to go north of 200. Uh, I, I don't think so. Great player. You know, Bill Walton's foot problems. I mean, that's a byproduct of what just kind of started in Portland and hampered him through the bulk of his career and robbed him, robbed him of great years. He had great seasons, but he did not have a great career only because he was just crippled. I just never forget sitting on the sidelines when I worked in Cleveland and seeing Portland come in and Bill Walton on crutches in yeah. a cast nonstop all the time. And cool part of basketball for him. Yeah, I remember for me in 1982 I worked at the sports arena and I sold popcorn up and down the aisles. It was a great job while I was in college and that was when the Clippers had Bill Wall, but he was never healthy, you know, and uh, that was, you know, the the arena was pretty empty unless the Celtics or the Lakers were in town and then the place was blowing up. Yeah, Once upon a time the Clippers had, there there were a couple years, unfortunately, Donald Sterling was the owner, there were a couple years they had really good players when they transported that thing from, I was not here, but when they transported Buffalo in here, and you know, they brought Randy Smith, and uh, they brought uh, there was another shooting guard there that was real good. Was and, it World Be Free? Was World it? Be Free? Yeah, yeah. Randy Smith and World Be Free, and then they got Freeman Williams, and then they had Michael Brooks, although he had a devastating knee injury. Uh, they had a three-point shooter from Utah, Tom. Chambers, oh, Tommy Chambers, yeah, and obviously Bill Walton was part of that mix, and. Uh, Swen Nader, very popular. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, I think a very good player. So mm-hmm. they had a they had a really nice collection of young guys, but they were beset by all types of problems from injuries to the idiot that owned the franchise. <laughs> yeah, the idiot that owned the franchise. Okay, let's let's keep moving here. And this is uh, from Michael Ross. He says, Hacksaw, any word when Daniel Hudson uh, will return to the Dodgers bullpen? He's throwing bullpens right now, but you know, throwing twenty pitches is different than standing on a mound going max effort. Uh, in crunch situations. He's had so many physical woes. I think the Dodger bullpen right now is covered. I think it's solid. may not be totally trustworthy, but I still think that it's it's pretty deep and they got a lot of different guys and they keep signing guys off the off the free agent market who are recovering the, la- the latest being Ken Giles and he's at Oklahoma City and I think he'll see him at Dodger Stadium within the next couple of weeks. But uh, at this point in time, you know, they, it's just tough. I mean, it is a long, lonely road to come back from reconstructive elbow surgery. And there's so many hurdles. You're making progress, you're making progress, and all of a sudden you have discomfort. And every time you have a setback, then you really have a setback because you have to step back and start the rehab process again farther back in the in the line. Mm-hmm. It's It's tough to come off that surgery. Guys do it, and guys have been very successful at it, but it's a long road. And then you... You know, I think about Walker Bueller, the ace of the Dodgers staff. He's had it twice. He's had two Tommy mm-hmm. John surgeries. And that's that's rare that you ever come back from that and be the guy you used to be before you got hurt. So tough part of the game. Well, I think um, Dustin May is kind of in that process, right, mm-hmm. getting those setbacks. But you know what? The Dodgers, you know, as much as we there are a rival in L.A., they do things right. You know, they're going to figure out a way to get these guys healthy if there is any chance. Yeah, and you, you compliment them. Because you look at their farm system, who they draft, and what they've accomplished. It's pretty impressive. Next question. Okay, let's move on to some of the social media comments here. And uh, let's get this one here. I think this is a good one from Wolfpack1977. He says, uh, if the judge allows them to get out of a contract, I guess this is the Bally's contract, um, what's stopping owners from canceling out of the player contracts? Well, that Wolfie, that's, I guess that's a viable question, except you forgot one thing. Who's in the middle of the discussions? The union and the Players Association carries clout. They carry the big stick. So you don't screw with players' contracts. And by the way, the bankruptcy judge told those guys at Diamond, no, we're not letting you out of the TV contracts. You owe the Cleveland Guardians and the Pirates and the Reds in Houston and Texas. You owe them the full amount of money. So that's that's going to drive Diamond right into the gutter. I mean, they will now officially be out of business and bankrupt because what they were hoping was the judge would say, okay, you could reduce it because the landscape has changed. And then they'd Diamond go back to the Pirates and say, okay, we want all your streaming rights and we're going to try to create a new business model with the streaming rights as the wedge to go get more money and we'll be able to pay you. And the judge says, no. A contract is a contract, and that's that's where we are. Yeah, I mean, I would a contract is a contract, but I've said this before. You would think that 
the Padres MLB, they know that the world has shifted and they know if they hold Bally's feet to the fire, they're going to fail. So it seems like they need to come together and just act in good faith. Maybe the good faith is maybe they've had their sights set on MLB handling the whole thing all along. And this is just getting them there. Well, I used a word in my column this morning called bribery, and that may be an unfair word. But, you know, the, the minute Bally failed to make the second payment, they were on the clock. And I think baseball, which has this, quote, Team 30 concept of taking everybody's streaming rights and creating a mega network that they could sell, produce, advertise, deliver. They went to the Padres and said, we'll bail you out. That's why they they agreed to pay them 80 percent of what was left on the unpaid rights fee contract. Mm -hmm. So the Padres said, we'll take that additional 32 million and we'll allow you to use us as the, the first flag carrier for MLB streaming. But that's only a one-year deal. I mean, that money will not be there in 2024 for the Padres. There won't be another, quote, bribe. So, But between now and then, baseball's got the ability to go to these other people outside of the Yankees and the Mets and the Red Sox and a few others and say, come join us. So instead of Team 30, maybe it's going to be 25 teams they'll have Mm -hmm. streaming rights to, but on they'll go. And so, like you say— There were visionaries, I'm sure, that were aware of this. I'm sure the Padres were aware as the landscape was changing, there were going to be some problems. I don't think it was to the the magnitude that they were going to lose all $60 immediately. Like I said, there's $420 left unpaid on that contract Mm. for the next seven years. That's seven years of revenue stream that Peter Seidler won't have access to. And yet he's got all these contracts now that he has signed that he is on the hook for. So... Well, we'll see where it goes. But MLB's thinking outside the box. The Potters are the first one to say, okay, I'll name our name, our flag will be right at the front. Yeah, he may have just earmarked that Bally money for Machado, you know, and now he suddenly doesn't have it. But the Padres will have some revenue stream. It won't be $60 million, but maybe it's 30 or $40 million from the subscriber base. I mean, let's hope they, they'll be able to figure out something. I mean, it would be a disaster if this whole thing imploded. Well, I don't think it'll implode. Baseball won't let it implode. They'll have the creative juice to, to create an alternative, but it won't generate that kind of money that they were getting before. And Bally... Bally overpaid. It's not the first time it's happened in the industry. It's happened a lot of different places. Next question. Next question. We've got a Laker comment here from Just Love. He says, yeah, D'Lo, you know, D'Angelo is not going to get $50 million a year. He's out of his mind, especially for being useless in the Nuggets series. Well, he really depriced himself by how really poorly he played. Now, I'm sure there's going to be a Laker offer there. He's going to have to swallow it if he wants to stay. If he goes on the open market, he's not going to get mega, mega money. Uh, he's an established NBA player, but he's not he's not 40 million. He's surely not 50 million. Do you want me to ruin your day right now and just tell you the <laughs> latest rumor or should we wait till Thursday? Uh, I'll tell you right now because okay. we'll have dialogue. There's a rumbling out of Dallas. The Dallas Mavericks, because they want to keep Kyrie Irving, would like to try and have a sign and trade conversation with the Lakers for LeBron. Kyrie keeps preaching, I want to play with LeBron. And you could have the big three here. We add Luka Doncic, Kyrie, and LeBron. I don't know what Dallas would give up, what the Lakers would want. Could the Lakers take that and parlay that into something else? Or is that too screwy? I mean, this is coming from Kyrie. I know you're a Kyrie (laughs) fan, but I'm not a Kyrie fan. But that's coming from Kyrie. Side end trade, bring LeBron here. So I don't mean to ruin your Monday night, but that's what's going on. Well, he still thinks the world is flat, right? (laughs) And I don't need the... uh, COVID vaccine either. Yeah, he's something else. I mean, but the Lakers, they've got a lot of big decisions to make. Um, let's get one more comment here about San Diego State. This is from Gregory White. He says, typical California West Coast myopia. You would be damn lucky to get in the Big 12. The Big 12 expanded with the teams they did because the Pac-12 snubbed them. BYU and AAC teams were the best available teams. Bottom line, the Big 12 survived. The Pac-X, who knows in what form they survive. Will they even be an autonomous conference in 2026. Well, somebody at the network level is going to pay $44 million a year to each school for the Big 12 contract. That's what the Big 12 is getting out of the New Deal. That's a lot of bank. Yeah. But I'm sorry. I am not going to separate myself from my Saturday schedule to see a Big 12 game between Central Florida and BYU. Are you <laughs> kidding me? And You ever made a road trip to West Virginia in the winter? That's a bitch. Uh, yeah. And they're in the Big 12 conference, too. Yeah. So 
I'm sorry, you're thinking of the Big 12 back when it was the days of Devaney and Nebraska mm-hmm. and Oklahoma and Texas and the good years they had in, in Boulder and Colorado with McCartney. That's not the Big 12 anymore, pal. I'm sorry. Houston is not a sexy name to me, and a bunch of those other places are not sexy names. The Pac-12's got more sexy names. Uh, you know, and you're criticizing the West Coast's perspective. Listen, there's an overnight flight from Lindbergh Field in San Diego that will take you to Hartford, Connecticut, and you can just relocate and live back there <laughs> in, in, in the Northeast. Uh, but... Um, I don't know where the dominoes are going to fall. Uh, I'm fascinated by this Gonzaga thing and my theory that Pac-12 should take Gonzaga basketball, San Diego State basketball, and just stay where they are and see if they can build it out there. Because there's not really any marquee names to go snare. There's nobody left. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a tough one. Uh, but you, you you might be able to picture a situation of Aztec football or basketball in the Big 12, even if they are traveling to Central Florida. But what about all the other sports, golf and women's softball and soccer? I mean, that's just an enormous financial burden on a, on a team like San Diego State. Yeah, it's a financial burden on USC and UCLA because their merger with the Big 10, John, envelops every sport. You're going to play freaking baseball? Trojan baseball is going to go play in Iowa City in March, mm. maybe if you don't get snowed out. <laughs> and all their teams, their travel teams, are go, all, they all got to go to the Midwest, all those long flights. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a challenge for football to go that far east for every roadie. What about all these other the Olympic sports teams? I, I, it makes no sense to me at all. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our Monday bonus podcast. Yeah, we had a lot of topics on the table. We invite you to subscribe. I think you'll really like what we offer. Tell your friends. Also, give us a thumbs up. Give us a five-star rating and join our team. We're pushing to get to 2,000 subscriptions by Friday? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Uh, But join us and check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day. John, have yourself a great sports week. We will check in with you the end of the week. Okay, let's hopefully the Padres are going to start winning again. Hey, thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.